0: Undersee, undersee,
1: under Yeah,
2: under sea, on the sea, on the sea. Hello, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello. This is ya yeah, yeah. Ne, ne, ne. My name is Ratna. I'm here with Arif. Hi, Ratna. And you're listening to our podcast. And as usual, the podcast consists of a voice message, a contribution, new contribution by an artist, and an excerpt from our ever-growing archive.
3: Yeah, today we have an excerpt of a radio show recorded at the Brackgrund at an exhibition called U2.
2: And we have a voice message by Holly Childs. Holly is a writer and artist from Australia who's working, and I like that sentence, she's working in and against contemporary literature. She lives between Amsterdam and Adelaide, at the moment more in Amsterdam, I think. And we met earlier in the summer at the Botanical Garden, right in the center of Amsterdam, which is also a bit of the unofficial yeah, 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 nee, nee, hangout. Um, But the reason why I invited Holly over there for a coffee is because she also did a performance in a botanical garden. Actually, in another one in Amsterdam, um, the one that's part of the VU University. And that's where she performed um, Hydrangea, which is um, a series, actually, um, in collaboration with musician J.G. Bieberkopf, And it's um, a myth about myths. In every flower, there's kind of a story in a forest that contains other like ever never-ending branching narratives and i understood that there's also a record coming out based on this uh, performance series but um yeah while being there we talked a bit about uh, landscape and being in the netherlands and missing nature and i think that partly inspired her um, voice message as well so yeah maybe we should have a listen with that in mind it's quite short very beautiful, and it's called Silver Skies and Silver Sea.
0: This one is in two dimensions. Silver skies and silver sea. Under sea, under sea, under sea. Impossible to retrace routes even hours later. Though I know for certain, camp granadas. Lake has alligators, and almost as impossible to see in real time. The importance of leading to hours of recollection. Finding often equivalent, unimportant, and not exact information that will rhyme. Not really interested in mining anymore. Tales you tell again, again, without writing them down. Sometimes texted, but mostly not. They leave a log. You say the same things again, again, and expect to see. The perfect worked out version, but you only find debris, rubble. When you felt certain, where you said it and to whom, leaky. No, you remember looking out the window, amassing several thoughts. No, that doesn't leave a trace. Or talking to deny outside also doesn't leave a trace. When you search keywords in notes on Drive, the most outrageous is when you write it down on paper. You can see where in your mind's eye, but not which page or book. Even worse a bits from in that phase in which you spelt, like absolutely everything wrong as affectation. In that state of half knowing without reference and no clue. To reconstruct in your own words what they said to you, betwixt erosion and what did she say? The Art of Fiction number 95, Cynthia Ozick, either embarrassed or plagiarize. There's a storm outside. I wonder if you can hear it. Stuck in lines, Shh. As I understand or understood in practice, though it's not explained, poems don't have to mean, like a cloud in particular, like watercolours to love to spritz. Maybe they were meant to clearly mean, but I mistook. Lines for the mist, only the best bits. Print the working, for there'll be no final answer. Who said a poem not a list would be your next disaster? The afterthought and hindsight pro depicted as a pool, And through all this I raise myself into the present day. P.S. This land doesn't fractal. You can't get up close to anything and find extra information. Is down to training sides versus elevation. At the edges, at the end, the land peters out. Silver skies and silver sea. Under sea, under sea, under sea.
3: That was Holly Childs. Her novel Greenhouse Parking is being published next year. And you can go to hollychilds.com to watch Blue Carbon Intertitle, a video that features music by J.G. Bieberkopf. And if you scroll down, there is an image that says, if we make work that we're not interested in, it will feel like Netflix. Do you have Netflix?
2: I don't, actually. I have to admit, I mean, is this a general thing that people do, that they share accounts and stuff? I think so. Yeah, so through someone else's account... I recently <laughs> locked in. Um, now there is this um, music show I'm watching at the moment. It's called Rhythm and Flow. It's like a hip hop rap music battle with uh, Cardi B in the jury, Ti, and um, what's his name, John's the Rapper. Yeah, I'm watching that. It's on Netflix.
3: I watched the Dre documentary, the Dr Dre documentary mm-hmm. on Netflix. It's kind of cool. I mean, it just turns into a Beats by Dre commercial in the end.
2: That's a bit weird. But maybe close to what he is now.
3: I think so, yeah.
2: yeah. How are we going to make a bridge to the next part of, the, of this podcast? I think by just mentioning that we have something from our archive coming up. Maybe what things have in common a bit today is that um, what we selected is quite uh, language-based, which also reminded me of uh, a broadcast we made very recently about... Mother tongues and speaking in English, which is quite prevalent in uh, in the arts. That one will be online soon.
3: Yeah, we recorded a show at the reading room of the library in the Rijks academy with uh, residents Oscar Atlagan, Salim Bayri, Lungiswa Kunta, and Bert Scholten.
2: I really enjoyed hearing other languages than English, or also being able to speak. We both also spoke a little bit in our native languages, which was quite good. To, to do or, yeah, relief even. Yeah, and I was reminded of that because in the um, excerpt that we're going to uh, play, uh, there's also some parts that are not in English, but in Italian, actually. Um, so it's part of a longer conversation that took place in the Brackegrond, an uh, exhibition space or cultural space in Amsterdam that's dedicated to also Flemish culture. And um, Ode de Court, an artist from Belgium, uh, had an exhibition there called U2. That's not U2 as in the band, but <laughs> two U's and then a T and a W and double O. Um, and I think it's important to mention that because in Odo's work, uh, there is a big interest in language and also our um, bodily relationship to it. And for many years, Ode is collaborating with two letters, namely O and U, and they are kind of uh, accompanying her in her studio in different ways, as text, but also as objects that she's performing with or rehearsing with. So these two letters, these characters become kind of personalities, and they are bended and shaped into each other, so U can become O and vice versa. Um, so the conversation that took place was with three people. Obviously, Oda herself was there. Uh, and then there was Sarah Giannini, who curated the show. And Josse Bell, also an artist based in Amsterdam, but originally from Belgium, who exhibited in the Brackegrond before and who was also an interest in language, but not in a very literal sense, but more to thinking of how language forms in our inner selves and also what it does to our tongue and to our teeth and the movements of the mouth, for instance. So the part that we're about to play... Uh, mainly features uh, Sara Gianini, and I first asked her about this collaboration and how all this work is related to Sara's practice.
1: I see our collaboration as a synchronicity or like as a beautiful coincidence because when the Brackegrund approached me and asked me whether I was interested in working with Ode, uh, it was just a few weeks after I came back from a period of research uh, in the United States at Bard College. And I spent during that time, I spent like four months um, speculating around the idea of the flesh of the voice. I mean, or at least that's how I call it. And, I started this research um, reading about early um, uh, mystical women who would, uh, like I don't know, Hildegard of Bingen, for instance, who would um, really write about language in a very central, um, yeah, central, fleshy. Mm. Uh, flesh in the sense of the flesh. uh, She was also
2: a composer, right? She was
1: also a composer, yeah. Yeah. And she was uh, describing her ecstatic flights outside of of herself, um, like a meeting with God, but like a God that is also the Logos, God that is language. So it was like somehow an experience of going outside of the domain of human language, um being in a then like being in a union with uh, divine language, and then like she would go back to the to the world, let's say uh, to the human language to reinvent it, to reappropriate it and she she, like other uh, mystical women like her, she was really able to make space for herself in a language that was mainly manly dominated
2: mm. and this was when because uh, this is, um was it 13th, 14th, 13th, uh, 13th century? century it's maybe good to mention yes yeah. people
1: don't know yeah, about yeah. her no that's true that's yeah. important to contextualize she was a german um abbess mm. abbess i guess that's the right word um and from this more kind of early examples, I started to research how like a lot of um, uh, women artists, uh, performers, uh, like in the 60s in the States, but also in Italy a lot, actually, were uh, trying to kind of get back to this body of language and that was also an occasion for me to go back and rediscover if you want like um, uh, fantastic Italian artists from the 60s and 70s like Gatti La Rocca and um, Mariella Bentivoglio who really were in a way creating this um, typogra- typographic bodies and I shared I shared these references with other because I, I thought it was like such a uh, such a crazy coincidence that I was looking at these works and then while I was doing this, I received this uh, invitation from the grant So the first feeling, um, going back to your question, the first feeling was like of, of a very lucky uh, encounter and coincidence. Um, so that was like how we met. And, uh, and I think the collaboration in this sense was uh, very, uh, for me, like very proficuous very beautiful because it, it started from a familiar space, but then like it also opened up and uh, I don't know, new dimensions and of uh, thinking about language uh, that is not only like the verbal or written language, but the language in space, um, language as a shape. Um so I really enjoyed this conversations uh with Oda.
2: And the uh, the show um yeah it's a very uh, I think rich in the different um media and materials that are used. Um, mm-hmm. cuz it's it feels like a uh, like an installation um with elements that remind of um um, photography uh, studio or a studio setting with the scrolls of um, yeah. paper where videos are projected on top of it. Um, there is uh, the sound that we played in the beginning of this broadcast that is uh, present. Um, there's a series of um, footnotes that are uh, also spatial, spatially installed and have on one side um, text, on the, on the back side uh, a mirror. So it's I think also very inviting to walk around and you also f- feel as a visitor you're also aware of your own uh bodily mm-hmm. presence um within that space so yeah is that also since i know you have also um background more in in uh, looking into performance art for mm-hmm. instance and, and theater or even the opera um yeah is that also something that you are maybe focusing on more or developing together in this sense um, yeah
1: I think somehow like we have discussed uh, quite a lot the idea of how uh, these words these two or sorry these two letters um, interfere somehow like with the formation of the self and formation of the, of identity uh, in between the self and the other so the O and the U and from, from that perspective we elaborated kind of together this idea of also of the mirrors as a as a surface that could render uh, this kind of um, diffracted relationship between the self and another so like when the self can look at itself recognizing itself but then also recognizing a distance or like a difference between the two
2: and I think in the way that the mirrors are installed, it's basically impossible. I think to see your full body, or you can see your full body, but in <laughs> in different yeah. sizes, in, or it's yeah. yeah, or like not a regular m- mirror. Uh, yeah,
1: and deconstructed. I yeah. think yeah,
2: they're actually um, composed with the idea of they start really low, so you can only see your toes, and then mm. they become higher and higher and higher. So up until the end, then you can see. Your, your lower, yeah, your legs, like in the, in the exhibition. But the other effect of that is also that, yeah, other parts of your body become cut out or come yeah. up. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they come up, but dissociated from, let's say, the, the verticality that's, uh, that usually keeps them together. Mm-hmm. So there is a moment of like recognizing yourself, but not recognizing yourself. Which I think is quite interesting, and it plays also with uh, what, what with what is written in the back on the back of the mirrors, like this again, this invitation, like you to to you, uh, mm-hmm. where the uh, really addresses um, the visitors, like the use, us.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I think um, all this work. Um, there is a sort. Cert- it has its own logic or that's how I felt about it. Like it has its own system. It is its own language almost. Totally. And it's not like how l- language is usually present also. Um, so I guess to, to be engaged with that, you have to kind of step into that logic. And I'm also wondering how that worked between you um, because, um, yeah, how how Sarah also stepped into all this logic and how you also had conversations about this um, through these letters or working with these characters and be in relation with these characters.
1: Yeah, I think that for me it was quite easy to enter the world. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately accepted the invitation. You were like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And... Um, and like the I mean like the longer we worked together especially during the installation week yeah. really the letters started to take over and I remember us like uh, <laughs> chatting on WhatsApp and then like every time there was an O or U <laughs> it became like qu- quite a big deal yeah <laughs> <laughs> So, and I started also like (laughs) to see the letters and, you know, every time I would see a word with O and U, I was like, ah, here they are. (laughs) Or like when I would speak like a word with the letters, I would also feel somehow like
2: invaded by them, (laughs) possessed by them. It's a virus.
1: Exactly. That's
2: exactly. (laughs) It's very viral. No, but I mean, I also notice it with other people from uh, um, as soon as they taste a little bit of it you can easily make it your own and start playing with it. So that's yeah. nice. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, certainly the playfulness and the humor that is mm-hmm. present in your um, world <laughs> and in the exhibition is something that is quite contagious, I think. And uh, and to elaborate or articulate more on this idea of like world making, which I think is quite interesting in your work. I think it's a lot related to to studio practice mm-hmm. i like that that you that you are kind of continuously exercising and working with the letters in the studio mm-hmm. so i think this daily aspect uh, of working with the letters then really is what triggers this yeah. world uh, yeah. because it's a mm-hmm. daily it's daily life and i think that's quite beautiful
2: thank you <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome and sarah you also brought a text for today i did Um, I believe I'm even involved with uh, reading. You are. (laughs) (laughs) I I like it also. But uh, you brought a poem actually. Um, Yes. Maybe you'd like to introduce it.
1: Yes. um, Funnily enough, it's a poem I wrote like a couple of years ago. Um, It was commissioned uh, by a very good friend of mine, uh, Jacopo Miliani, an artist based in Milan for an exhibition catalog. And um, even though it's extremely connected to this exhibition, I, it never crossed my mind during our months of I mean, working together that I wrote this poem until Radna asked me whether I had something um, that I could read. And then I suddenly remembered that, ah, but maybe I wrote something that might be related. So it's a, a poem um, inspired by my favorite word, Uh, which is the German word uh, Lautmalerei. And the title of the poem is actually the sort of um, dictionary uh, description of the word uh, Lautmalerei. So it's a bit of a long title, but the poem is not long. And uh, I wrote the poem in Italian, uh, which is my mother tongue. And I translated it into English for today. And so I'm going to read the Italian and Radna... Very nicely, it's going we'll to take care it. of the English version <laughs>
2: as good as I can. Yeah. Uh, shall I read the Italian first yeah. or the? Inge- I yeah? think it's nice to start with the with the original. Let's say. Okay, so uh,
1: lautmalerei tedesco uh, onomatopea in Italiano sostantivo femminile composto di laut, suono e malerei dipinto letteralmente dipinto di suono. Laut malerai, loud malerai, laut malerai, laut malerai, Denudati per me, dipinto di suono. Sguscia via, sfruscia di lato. Schiacciami, louder and louder. Togliti le vesti, i doppi sensi, le maschere, il trucco. Nudo, ti voglio nudo. Che bello accarezzare la pelle d'oca delle tue parole. gli spigoli spigoli gutturali della M, la morbidezza curva della A, aperta, ciccia, che piacere gelido bere cocktail con tanti cubetti di U, scivolo sopra il nero lucido dell'inchiostro indossando guanti di seta bianca, provo a a sgrammaticare via quello smalto glossy black, Per vedere la tua carne rossa O più probabilmente Magical Magenta Magenta Tocco il tuo profumo di maggio I miei guanti sono sporchi Di pelle d'inchiostro L'odore dell'inchiostro è cupo E penetrante È una droga dal sapore verde acido Via i guanti Via la pelle Scratch, scratch, scratch Il magenta è lì Un po' deforme, un po' liquido Vivo È una R. Chiudo gli occhi e seguo la linea serpentina, come una lingua lunga e languida, come una chiacchiera sibilata. Ti bacio. Lingua tocca lingua. Lingua parla lingua. Lingua materna. Lingua magenta. Lingua altra. Very linguisticamente noi ci baciamo. Sessualmente noi sinestetici. O no ma to pe i a. Punto interrogativo. Dove sei? <laughs> so it was very embarrassing for some reasons.
2: <laughs> well, here's another one. Lautmalerei, <laughs> German, is onomatope English. Laut, sound, loud, plus malerei, painting, literally sound painting. Loud malerai, loud malerai, loud malerei, loud malerei. Strip for me, painting of sound, slip away, swish on the side, smash me. Louder and louder. Take off your dress, the double meanings, the masks, the makeup. Naked, I want you naked. So great to caress the goosh-fisk flesh skin of your words, the guttural corners of the M. The curved softness of the small A, ample, chubby. The little pleasure of sipping cocktails with many U-cubes. I slide over your glossy black ink, wearing white silk gloves. I try to ungrammar away that glossy black polish to see your red flesh, or more likely, magical magenta. Magenta, I can touch your smell of March. My gloves are dirty with ink skin. The smell of ink is gloomy and pervasive. It's a drug that tastes acid green. Away with the gloves, away with the skin. Scratch, scratch, scratch. The magenta is there, a little shapeless, a little liquid, alive. It's a R. I close my eyes and follow its winding line, like a long languid lingua, like a hissed whisper. I kiss you. Tongue touches tongue, tongue speaks tongue, mother tongue, magenta tongue, other tongue. Very linguistically we kiss each other, sexually, synesthetic we, oh no, ma, to, pe, i, a, question mark, where are you?